So we're heading to Chattanooga for Southern Sog. Looking forward to getting together with some other organic farmers and learning what other people are doing. I guess the big question for me is, will my bride let me wear my overalls to the Saturday night dinner? Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thank you, Adrian, And welcome to this podcast of January 21st, 2010. Um, Lee mentioned in the intro that we are headed to Southern Sog. That's Southern Sustainable Agriculture Working Group, I believe it stands for. That's right. We were there, what was it, two years ago? Two years ago when okay. it met in Louisville. And this or was it maybe China. three years ago? No, two. Okay. We skipped so last year because I was in London. We missed one year and, and now we're going back. Right. So, and, and last year was in Louisville and this year we'll be in Chattanooga. So we have quite a drive ahead of us, but we're looking forward to, to being a part of the, uh, the festivities there. And uh, as you said earlier, learning something about what to do about our um, cultivation, about uh, dealing with pests. We, we've signed up, I think one of us signed up for a short course on um, helpful yes, garden predators. Yes, I think I'm predators. going to be inside the hotel safe and dry and warm while you're tromping around in the rain on the field trip. Right, I signed up for a field trip because I like to get out and stretch my legs, but there's a 90% chance of rain tomorrow afternoon, so that won't be too good. Uh, but I'll report on what we've learned. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that some next week. And a zero percent chance of rain in the hotel where I will be sitting. Just rub it no, in. I didn't mean right. to rub it in right. or anything. But. And a, as you referred to earlier, there will be a dinner on Saturday night. Uh, they focus typically on locally grown and, produ- and produced um, vegetables. So that will be served. And while you don't have to dress up, I don't think overalls are appropriate oh, attire. Oh, come on. Well, you know, the the thing with events like this, we're going to be spending time with a lot of farmers who are commercial. They're selling what they're growing. And you and I have a subsistence mentality about the way we farm, which is different from what most of these people will have. That's right. So our challenge is going to be to gather the information that's truly helpful to us and not get bogged down in the marketing. That's right, and and we found last time that it's like any other conference. There's a there are some plenary sessions, but there also are plenty of breakout sessions where you have choices about what panels you go to participate in, and we do typically choose those that apply to our our interest of, of subsistence right. farming. Not worrying so much about how do we sell a product, how do we. Um, in fact, a lot of them are even much full scale, much more full scale production sites. So they're working with, um, I don't know, horses and um, livestock that we don't yet own, if ever. So it's it, we do have to pick and choose. Yeah, we have sessions to be somewhat careful to make to sure that um, we get what's truly useful to us. Right. And the other piece of it that um, we that you often have with organizations like this is that we've. This will make the second time we've gone here, and we're going after we've been doing this a while, after we've been gathering information from other sources. And I think if experience is any guide, we're going to find the conference less useful 
this time than we did two years ago because at that time everything was new. We were That's just right. grabbing, you know, just, oh, tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, now we sort of know more about what we're looking for and probably won't find as many aha kind of uh, piece kernels of information as we did that first time. Well, let me just lay on a slightly different perspective on that. I think we actually might find it more useful because we've been doing it. I went to a lot of panels. I thought, oh, I know I'm going to need that. I'm going to need that. Well, no, I don't need that. And I now have a much more discerning eye for pinpointing exactly what I do need to know. Good point. I can see how that would make a difference. So. And we also actually might be resource people for some for some folks there. Before, all we could do was go there and you know, say, we're city folk. We don't know anything. Well, now we know some things. Yeah, we're, we're slowly getting some knowledge and some um, experience under our belts. So, yeah, maybe we'll be able to be a resource for somebody. Who knows? That's right. And uh, one thing that we found particularly useful last time was making connections with other farmers in Alabama. You bet. That's so. one of the things we're looking forward to the most about this. And we were very pleased last time to see how many Alabama folks made it to Southern Saw. Right, right. So we're, and, and since this gathering is a little closer to Alabama, perhaps there, we'll find good participation there from yeah, Alabama this yeah. year as well. So we'll report on that next week. Um, the other thing that, of course, we've been thinking about that we need to do when we do come back is to actually get started on that deer fence. Well, you want to talk well, a little bit about what we've been doing to get ready for Yeah, it? I think we ought to get credit for what we've already done to prepare for the deer fence. You and I spent, um, what, maybe two good days last mm -hmm. uh, this week Yeah, finishing the clearing process so that, no, it's really more like four days. Because we did spend a day on the west side of Veg Hill finishing up that clearing. Then you worked for a day while I had to go to Birmingham for a dental appointment. On you the worked east side on the of east Edge side Hill. of Edge Hill. And then we sort of refined all that yesterday. I came in and pulled out some vines. We is such a nice reframe. You uh, came behind me all day yesterday doing what you do, what just, you know, meticulously picking up things and cleaning them up. And it looks great. We are pleased, and we we fear that no one other than us, other than we ourselves, will ever notice the difference. But now you know, and you'll say, oh, what pretty woods around Veg Hill. <laughs> That's right. Um, and and we, do, we did decide that one of our worst enemies on this property, well, I should say several of our worst enemies, are vines. Oh, my goodness. We ha because they come in many varieties, and I hate them all, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no good vine. There's no good vine. The only good Actually, vine is a dead that's vine. that's not true because scup uh, muscadines are vines. And every now and then, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can see from that look on your face. Yeah, let, let me just clarify. Yes, they are vines, but in the wild, I'm finding they are not our friends. We had that one really good crop last year. Um, well, I should say in the fall of 2008 when we had some volunteer muscadines enough to make a good bit of really nice muscadine jam. This past year, nothing, not a squat. And all those vines do is sit there and choke off perfectly good trees. You bet. So now awful. what Absolutely we want, awful. what I've concluded is what we want to do is cultivate muscadines in a controlled environment. 
Yeah, that's and what so, we need to do. So right now those vines we are have, useless. We have been to the mountaintop, and we have sampled the muscadines at Petals from the past. We know what muscadines can yes. look like yes. and taste like. And that's what, the way we want them to be. So basically the devil's ivy, the muscadine vines, unidentified other types of vines. I couldn't tell you what they're called. Um, those all Satan. need to go. They're Satan. That's right. And they will inherit the earth, we're convinced, along with the cockroaches and probably squirrels. And <laughs> that's part of what your friend Larry Davenport says, that vines will do better in the climate of the days to come. Somehow they're better suited to that higher right. level of heat, I guess. I'm not well, sure. Global warming, climate change. Um, and of course, Dr. Davenport is a biology professor at Samford and an award-winning teacher and researcher who knows a lot about this. And maybe someday we'll have him as a guest on the show. That'd be wonderful. Um, but he talks about some of the models of climate change and no one exa knows exactly what it'll look like. But one of the more commonly accepted projections among scientists who specialize in this uh, would be for a hotter, drier climate that is more, um, what is the word? Conducive. Conducive to, um, hospitable to uh, things that we unfortunately are going to find to be negative, like poison ivy and, you know, ivies of that kind of uh, um, weeds, vines, um, probably privet. I hate that. Um, those kinds of um, invasive species. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't think that we're doing anything we shouldn't be doing. We need to eliminate them and plant. And the other thing Dr. Davenport says is to plant longleaves. Longleaf pines, because of the migration of some of the North American you know, species that are in the United States, some of them will actually migrate north into Canada, like the American beech, for example. Which, which we love. Which we love. Um, and But... Longleaf pines seem adapted to this environment and should do fine. So we're trying to do our part. And I think we've talked about that before on the podcast, that uh, that's one reason we, we'd like to do that. But it, it, to the extent that I can, we can do something to undermine um, vines maintaining a foot. I won't say getting a foothold, maintaining a foothold here. Then we want to do that. And we've also, we're, we're, we might talk about this some more later, doing a controlled burn which is a way that the Indians used to control um, unwanted species like that. And increase the growth of the longleaf pines. Right. Which right. are designed to withstand the effects of burning better than most other species. Right. So, and, and that's something if we do end up doing it, maybe next month we'll talk more about mm -hmm. that. But right now we're thinking about going ahead and getting the deer fence up, maybe when we get starting to work on that, when we get back from Southern Sog, so that we can plant our at least the beginning of our orchard you bet. in a deer and, we should add, rabbit-safe environment. We have a fairly small area that we're talking about fencing off. It's about a quarter of an acre, but we estimate that it should be enough space for us to plant the fruit trees that are important to us as well as the vegetable crops. It'll be a, a fairly focused little area there, but we're hoping it'll be quite productive. Right. And, you know, eventually we may branch out and plant orchard trees elsewhere on the property. But right now we just want to make sure that they're protected from deer especially. We've, we have found how devastating they are to our crops. So I don't want my saplings eaten up by these unwanted creatures. 
so anyway, that's kind of the plan. And we'll need to go ahead and get the orchard trees in during the winter. Right. Sort yes. of a clock ticking on that. It definitely is. Which means there's a clock ticking on the deer fence, which means there was a clock ticking on clearing off those areas around Veg right. Hill. All of this is sort of interconnected and we're sort of knocking down dominoes one at a time, trying yeah. to get everything in place so that we can get fruit trees in this season. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Um, and of course, we do spend some time indoors. We had a couple of days, the weather hasn't been quite as brutally cold, but it has. we've had a couple of days of rain and just undesirable weather, that, at least for working outdoors. So I tried my hand at cleaning the apartment. I wanted Which to see how long it would take. And I think it while you were it. doing that, I was working on the firewood pallets, trying to reinforce them. So I was completely away from the apartment while you were doing this. Right. And, and of course, it, I needed to do it as a solo anyway. But I wondered how long to take a 600-square-foot apartment. Of course, it does. You know, we have the usual dust bunnies that form under the bed and um, just we track in a lot but from stem to stern and I was pretty thorough it was just a little over two hours to clean the whole place so I felt pretty good about that and I did too and I really appreciated your doing it it made a difference I mean it really looked better felt better right uh, after you did that cleaning and I think you know probably about once a month I'll need to do that thorough cleaning maybe every other week um just wrote well I'll just sweep I sweep on a regular basis anyway but and so do I and and cleaning off the counters and that sort of thing we do all the time but as far as sort of deep cleaning the apartment mm -hmm. it really really will not be that bad the uh it, we should probably bring this up in the context of deep cleaning and so forth the area around the wood stove gets swept about twice a day during the burning season right because right. each time we build a fire we've got to sweep up Mm -hmm. that's just part of the routine uh, we have to keep it swept and if we didn't I guess we'd be tracking crud all over the apartment right and of course we anticipate when it's not burning season that area will not be a problem you know won't have to be swept on a regular basis so, I would assume yeah. that's the case yeah but but it is um, reflecting on that makes me even more excited about the idea of instead of building another house building a lodge instead so that that when it's not in use, you know, I can put dust covers over things. I mean, when it's not in use and it's closed up, I wouldn't anticipate having to clean it all the time. I would hope I would not. have a small space that I'm cleaning on a regular basis. And the large space, you know, left to, again, I think if the windows are closed and it's sealed up, uh, I'm trying not to be naive. I think there can, will always be some dust. But just judging from the way our house on Misty Lane looks when mm -hmm. we're not there for a while, yeah. it's... You know, it's not a problem. And to refresh you, the focus there, the our tentative plan, and conditioned on our seeing how we feel after living a hot summer here in the apartment. But the tentative plan is for us not to build a house in addition to this. This would, where we are now, recording this podcast here in the apartment of the pole barn, would be our home for the two of you, of uh, two of us. Right. And then we would build uh, just up the hill. It's like a what, 200 feet up the hill, um, a large gathering space, an outdoor pavilion, a big screen porch, it's huge, and then three reasonably sized bedrooms and a large family room. Right. That would be the lodge. <laughs> uh, we would never expect to live there ourselves, 
but it would be available for us to um, have a family come and stay there. Friends could come and stay right. there. Entertaining if we need more space. Yeah, if we wanted to have a big group to come and eat supper with us, whatever. We could do all those things in the lodge, and you and I would continue to live here in the pole barn. That's at least the tentative working plan, which is different from what we thought when we moved in here. Right. Yeah, it is. When we moved in, we thought that we would be living here for a while, and then we would be living in the house up the hill. But uh, but anytime I look at, I pass by a beautiful, big, two-story house, the way I used to fantasize, oh, wouldn't I love to have something like that sitting <laughs> on my 88 acres? I think about two hours to clean the apartment versus either hiring someone, which, you know, now that I'm retired, I don't really think, uh, do I anticipate having that, that kind of money to spare to hire somebody to clean that's it? That's true. Or spending a lot of hours cleaning an interior space. And we just have too many outdoor projects for that. And too I many prefer fun to things be, to do. Yeah, fun things. I prefer to be outdoors. I'm an you outdoors bet. person. It's taken me till my mid-50s to get to a lifestyle so I can do that. But it's true. It is more what I'm suited to. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with I that idea. I am too. And one of the things we love to do the most when we're doing that is walking around on our property and just seeing how it's changed from a week ago or two days ago or whatever. We've just really enjoyed walking around our property. Right. And we, we try to do at least an hour a day of some kind of exercise. If we're not working all day, we get out and walk. And and part of what we do, not just enjoying the property, but we discover new places we could put a trail. I think since our last podcast, we discovered that beautiful kind of a ridge over on the north exactly. part of the property. And yeah. we have big plans for it. Yes, we do. In order to, we have a, a pretty good sized swath of our property that's been not inaccessible to by, by foot, but inaccessible to vehicles. And when you say inaccessible to vehicles, at least the way we're doing things, that means you don't have a, a trail that's easy to walk on. Right. So now we're talking about the possibility of putting in one pipe with some clay gravel on top of it. And we think if we do that, we'll open up that whole swath so that we can get in with tractor and do some bush hogging and clean it up so that we can really enjoy that section of our property as well. Right, and and the reason we need the pipe is, like a lot of our property, uh, there are some places where either due to underground springs and or rain drain off or both, there it's just too murky or sludgy for the tractor to be able to pass by. So swampy. Swampy yeah. is a good word, yes. But, well, I don't like to think of us having swamp land here, but, but some of it really is, some mm -hmm. of the bottom yeah. land. So, you know, that's why we have to have the pipe so you can get that tractor in there right. to maintain the trail. I'll really clean that up so we can enjoy using it. Right. And um, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to talk with uh, just briefly about the rhythm we've gotten in about compost and managing the compost. Because that's sort of pleasant to both of us, I right. think. And we're building a nice big compost pile outside that we can use in the garden. Rich black uh, compost. It's just fun to watch that happening. I've talked before about the compost fairy. I just, I love the way that you take food scraps and leaves and even shredded paper, put it all in that pile, and you come back um, a few weeks later and you've got this rich black compost that's just uh, full of life. 
But the rhythm begins in our kitchen. We don't waste a lot. We don't throw a lot away. But let's face it, you you eat an apple, you have a core, banana peel, uh, you have orange peels, corn cobs, and all of that have tea, our tea grounds Mm -hmm. and our coffee grounds. So all of that goes into our little compost kind of a small canister, yes, that sits up on the counter. And daily we take that out to the compost heap outdoors and... um, it just, as you said, magically turns into nice, rich, organic matter. Yes. Well, it is already and, organic matter, but and when usable I, organic um, matter. I receive a lot of correspondence in my role as a divorce lawyer, and uh, all of those documents get shredded, and that shredded paper gets added to the compost pile as well, and it disintegrates and forms nice, rich humus. So That's great. It is great. It's fun to watch. And we look forward to doing that for years and years. Right. So I guess we are just about out of time. I guess we'll be in touch back with next week with the, an update about Southern Sog and our trip. So have a good week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleaffreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.